Hello, everyone. Welcome to the WMA podcast. I'm Justin Halverson, the president of WMA, and with me is my co-host, the director of member relations for WMA, Justin Jackson. Hello. Today is David Shotwell. Dave is the president of Shotwell Rudder Bear, has a bachelor's in political science from the University of Michigan, and has held the CFP designation since 2012. Dave has served as the board president of the Financial Planning Association of Michigan since 2015, in addition to other leadership positions in Lansing, Ann Arbor, and If you'd like to learn more about Dave's financial planning firm, Shotwell Rudder Bear, check out the show notes for more information. With that, we bring you David Shotwell. Dave, welcome. Thank you. Hi, glad to be here. Yeah, so uh, right off the bat, um, could you tell us a little bit about your background and how you came into financial planning and the wealth management? <laughs> My background, I started 20 years ago this February, so February of 2000, um, and I started in this business uh, working with the um, brokerage department of National City Bank. Um, actually, we were attached to their trust department. And it really, it was funny, you know, I have no, uh, unlike, unlike you guys, I didn't have the, uh, the uh, academic background. I had a friend who just kept saying, I was actually teaching at a community college, teaching literature and um, freshman writing. And a buddy of mine who uh, was in this business kept telling me, you're wasting your time, you need to come work with me. And, uh, and it was uh, one of the best things I ever did. But that was uh, 20 years ago this spring. Um, and I served as an assistant for a couple of years and worked my way into, into more of an associate advisor role there. Um, I left National City in 2006 and went to work for a small community bank here in Northern Michigan and um, worked there until 2013. I had always kind of known I wanted to be more financial planning focused and wanted to be fee only at some point. So in 2013, I actually had a um, friend and colleague, uh, Beth Bear, who um, we actually had some a, a mutual client at one point and then worked together on a, on a case for them, which is kind of unusual to have somebody from the brokerage world and somebody from the uh, RIA space work together. And uh, um, we got along great. And it was over the course of almost 10 years though before we joined together and uh, she had a, a firm she started from scratch uh, in, out of her house in Lansing. Uh, and uh, I joined with her and um, worked primarily in Ann Arbor at the time, splitting my time between Ann Arbor, Lansing, and Northern Michigan. And she retired in 2018. So I'm the sole owner of the firm now. Um, we've got four people on our team, along with an intern for right now. And um, got a, myself and then another CFP, Nick Nada. He lives in Lansing and is there full time. And Jeff Rudder um, is, he's got some, some clients assigned to him, but he's also um, basically like the uh, office operations manager. And then uh, Amy Gowden, who's worked with me off and on since 2002. 2003 we figured it out at one point we're, go we're going on 20 years together as as it is she is um just really really good with all of the uh 
client detail work. And uh, so got a pretty good team, pretty proud of that. Um, I got my CFP in 2012, so about halfway through my career. And Is that so while you were working for the, in the brokerage space or was that? Yeah, I, I started on the classwork. Um, I actually finished while I was still in that hybrid brokerage, brokerage world and I got that got the CFP in 2020. I dragged the classwork out badly because you were you were able to do that back then. There were there weren't these nice formal structures to it. Um, I had a, I had signed on with Kaplan for their online program and they had no deadlines and no um, no framework around it. So I dragged it out over a few years, but uh, got that done in 2012 and joined Beth in 2013. So what was the biggest difference then when you joined Beth? Um, like, was there like right away, was there something you noticed day one or was it kind of, you, I don't know, what was the, what were the big differences between the brokerage? And so, the so the brokerage world is very structured around. The, so one of the biggest differences for me was I went from not, I went to a situation where basically we controlled our own messaging a lot more in our own, we were able to be individuals a lot more. And so like, I've always, um, writing is one of my one of my strong suits and I always wanted to be able to do a blog and to write and be more expressive. And that, I, I really couldn't do much of that in the brokerage world. Um, so that was one major change is just kind of all of a sudden having the freedom to make the business what I wanted it to be. I'd also always, I don't know that we want to go down the whole, um, you know, commissions versus fees, that whole world right now. But I'd always thought that I aligned better with my clients when it would, when the commission part of the equation was out of the way. And I did find that that was very liberating when I no longer had product sales goals and, and other things to worry about. Um, it just makes a more pure relationship with the client. And from my point of view, and um, I also wanted to be more financial planning oriented rather than investment oriented. Um, I'm proud of my investment background, but uh, you know, to me, it always made a lot more sense to focus on the plan and bring the bring the um, portfolio in line with the plan rather than uh, make the investments be the the driving force. Um, so, and, could, oh, sorry. Yep. No, go ahead. So could you break down a little bit of uh, the difference between being an advisor for a firm and kind of like uh, and running your own firm and being the sole business owner? Because I think a lot of advisors dream someday of taking that big jump, but what are some of the things yeah. that they should be concerned about? So, so it, it, there's definitely pros and cons and it's not for everybody. Um, you have to like running a business, not just being an advisor or an employee. Um, it is again, kind of in, kind of like the, uh, the fee structure. Um, it's very liberating in a way to be able to say, these are the people I want to work with and this is how I want to structure my firm. And that's a kind of control you're not going to get unless you, um, unless you're either very lucky, you know, land with the right, the right team in the right situation or, um, or you go independent and, um, so yeah, being able to make the business the way you want it, to pick and choose your technology, 
to choose your custodians to figure out what the best investment answers that fit with how you look at how portfolios should be structured. You know, there's a million different tools out there and they're all tools. Some of them are better than others, but they're all tools, but everybody's going to, and you'll end up as you, as you start working with clients and thinking things through on your own, you'll find just that some of them fit better than others with, with your outlook and what you're trying to do. And so to have that freedom of being able to really make the investment program the way you want it is something you're not going to have outside of independence. Does, it, does that, uh, does that make sense? It does. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Might have froze Justin over there. Yeah. 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 Uh, um, I wasn't sure if it was me. Or, no, um, I think it's, yeah. It, that, well, that does make sense. So do you have an ideal client then like talking um, now that you have the freedom to do that? Do you look for a, like a certain kind of client now that you get to choose essentially? Yeah. Um, we spend a lot of time as a, as a group talking about that. Um, I would say my idea, like the people that I get excited about working with when they come in new are usually those people that are a few years out from retirement where there's still decisions to be made. And, um, you know, they're not quite sure that they can make this work. They really need the planning. And at that point, it's generally a, a more sophisticated type of planning where there's a lot of moving parts. I, I, to me, it, the excitement in the business is getting is getting to know people and understand them, but then also figuring out how to unravel that big mess of stuff that they have and make sense out of it. So my ideal client doesn't have to be a, you know, um, I, I would say our, our meat and potatoes type of clients are, um, we've got a lot of Michigan State faculty, a lot of Michigan faculty from the Ann Arbor office, um, a lot of um, state of Michigan employees, you know, we're not, we're not talking um, $10 million entrepreneurial, you know, portfolios here. We're talking uh, 500,000 to a million and a half, 2 million, which it, it depends, which is plenty, which is fine, but it's not um, like an ultra high net worth kind of practice. I actually enjoy working with people that you, you'll find you, you, you connect with people with certain people. Mm -hmm. And that's also kind of the demographic where I think we have a good rapport where we can speak to them and solve their problems without it being um, super specialized family office kind of stuff. So um, I like I like when we get a prospect who comes in and they're maybe 58 and want to retire sometime in their early to mid 60s and they've got kind of a general idea of what they want to do but they really don't know what the possibilities are and you know we can sit down we've really um, the last 18 months taken a, um, enhanced our process to be more life planning focused where we're we're focusing on um, the client's values and vision at the front end. Like, like we had a prospect meeting yesterday and I think Nick told her, you know, it might, it might be the third meeting before we even look at your statements. Hmm. You know, um, first we're going to figure out what you're trying to do and where you're trying to go and what's important to you and then connect the money to that. So um, when we How have that, kind of, oh, I'm sorry. 
Go ahead. Well, how do you, so how do you go about that? Like you said, it takes a couple meetings. Like, is it just explicitly finding the goals and then finding, you know, like defining the goals and then finding yeah. that to them? Or how, how do you go about so that? Our typical planning process for a new prospect, the way, the way we do it is, is they sign on for essentially a, a six month process um, where the first phase of it is that vision um, you know, let's get, let's get your vision and your values. We've got some surveys we use with them. Um, we've got some, some, we use the George Kinder questions. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with those, but. Uh, I'm not, do you want to, is it quick? Do you yeah. Think I could give them for everybody? Yeah. Um, so essentially it's, it's just a series of, of questions designed to like really get at the heart of what's important to people. And it gets really, um, it can really make people think if they, if they, if they want to put the effort into it. Um, the, the, um, phase then is that's where we, we basically work through strategies with them. So, so they give us all their, all their active data at the beginning, but we don't really talk to them about it until kind of in the middle. And at that point we come in, um, usually using money guide pro as our financial planning software. And we work through, okay, these are the goals that, that we've established with you. Let's play around with these and see what, what works and what doesn't and what's feasible. And, and that's really cool because we can, we can do it now where it's very interactive with the client. It's not me telling them you need to work till you're 63 and this is what you get to spend. Instead, we get to move things around in the plan in front of them on the screen and say, yeah, you know, if you if you work another year, here's what it would look like. But is that really worth it? You know, back to the whole value connection. You know, what are the trade offs? And um, when the clients get really engaged with that, the whole process becomes a lot more interesting um, because then then it becomes a lot easier to tell them what they need to do to get there. And that's the third phase. The last couple meetings is essentially we take the framework that we've kind of agreed on the, the scenario of working to a certain age, spending a certain amount, you know, doing certain things and turn that into a, a to-do list for them and for us. Here are the things you need to do. If you hire us for ongoing planning or asset management, here's what we will do. And we set up a calendar of how those things are going to be done, when they're going to be done, who's going to do them. And most importantly, when we're going to do the process again, because um, the plans are generally out of date about the time the ink dries, you know. And I think, uh, you know, one of my one of my friends who has a firm in Boston, uh, the way he puts it is, um, you know, he's a he he does financial planning, not financial plans, because the plans themselves aren't the thing; it's the process, it's the iterations. So that's, um, that's yeah, great point. So many, as a student, I know when I came in, so many firms and companies and so many just different organizations fly the banner of wealth management, financial plan. Mm -hmm. um, so do you mind actually, how would you explain that then to a new prospect coming into your firm? What would you explain if you're like, you know, just a, maybe a sound bite? what is financial planning at Shotwell Rudder Bear? I, I tell people financial planning is the process of, and this is going to sound way too wordy, so I wouldn't put it quite like this to a client, but it's really about creating a framework to make decisions based on what we know now, 
but also trying to build in flexibility so that a year from now when your thoughts have completely changed on how you want to spend the next five or 10 years, we'll be able to adapt. And, you know, as a, as a species, we're really lousy at knowing what we want to do in the future. We think we do. We've got pretty good ideas. You've got a pretty good idea of where you want to be a few years from now. But 18 months from now, that point of view will have shifted somewhat based on new experience and new thoughts. And so a lot of times, especially with those folks that are maybe four or five years out from retirement, we'll hang some labels on some goals, like traveling and doing certain things with the house, you know, certain stuff like that. And I tell people, that's great. And it'll, it'll come more in focus as you get there. But don't think of it, it's, it's like a placeholder. Like this is money, this is our, this is our adaptable money. You know, we're calling it you know, $10,000 a year of travel for the first 15 years of retirement. But it might be, um, you know, it's not a prescription. It, it's gonna shift and it's gonna change and you're gonna find other things to do with some of that money. You may travel for two or three years and decide that's plenty, you know. Um, I, I always bring up travel because that's like one of the, the only, a lot of times that's the only goal other than basic retirement expenses people can come up with early on. So that's what, oh, sorry. That's what I was going to yes. ask next was, do you see anything else besides retirement and travel? And then you, you also touched on investments, but besides those three things, is there something else you always see people coming to looking for your help with? Um, well, you know, it's, it's all part of the puzzle, all the other little, little planning elements. Um, you know, for instance, we do, we've got a good program, around college planning for um, for clients who have uh, high school students figuring out college affordability. We use Joe Messenger's um, college pre-approval system for that. And it's a great tool, but it can't exist in a vacuum. You know, so a lot of people come in thinking all they really need is college planning, but college planning has implications for your retirement plan, you know. Um, finance, uh, college planning has implications for whether you, um, you know, get a vacation home, whether you, you know, there's all kinds of, like these things all fit together, like the spokes on, uh, on gears. And so, um, a lot of times people will come in for one thing. Like, I really just want to know how I should make my social security election. Well, you know. There's so many, there's so many variables to that. There's not, I can tell you, you can tell me your age and I can give you a life expectancy projection and tell you when your break even point is, but that doesn't necessarily tell you when you should claim social security based on your situation. So if we don't do the whole plan, these parts are kind of meaningless. Um, quite often we'll get inquiries that'll be something like, um, I've got, you know, X amount of money set aside for my son's college. And I want something, I want to invest in something liquid, um, but high return, you know, they'll give it, they'll, they'll, they'll spit out these like things they're looking for. And it's like, well, you know, I can't just give you, there was a time in my career where, you know, you tried to find a solution first, but um, you know, now, it's it's about figuring out how it fits in that plan because there's so many different things that that impact that. So it sounds like you you encourage 
not specific tangible goals, but like more of yeah, a framework, like you said, like a path that that's, I guess, yeah. more than like buy the new house in this year. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it, it's kind of a fine line, Justin, because you get better results, like better buy-in from the client if you can make it specific to what they think they want to do now. And so a lot of times we will put specifically like get that house in Tampa in 2023, you know, with X dollars um, or, you know, go to the Kentucky Derby in 2024, you know, something concrete like that helps because the client will then envision, you know, actually doing that thing and getting there makes a lot more sense. But I guess, you know, I always put that little asterisk on there that, what this money actually ends up being spent on is going to morph and change, you know? Um, and that's been really interesting during the whole coronavirus situation is going back and talking to clients where we had pretty good um, plans mapped out. And it's not, it's not that the money has changed. I mean, there was a time in, in, late March when everybody felt like the money had changed, but you know, we're in a little better situation, a little more stable now, but their values have changed. I've had a couple clients where, um, I had one where they're getting ready to retire next year and they were planning to spend an entire year in Portugal. Now their decision not to do that. Like, like if it was just about the travel bans and different things going on, they would say, you know, we'll wait, we'll do it when we can. But really what's changed is they don't want to be, they want to focus more on their grandkids and being around. And so that money that was going to go for this, this whole year abroad, they're looking at instead getting a cottage on a lake near their grandkids so that they can all be close. And that's just one example, but you know, um, we have seen that shift over the last couple of months, just like people are, People are rethinking priorities a little bit. It's interesting. It's really interesting. Is there any kind of big trends you've been seeing? Is it like travel, of course, but like, I don't know. Could, is there any big trends you're seeing? How, like, is, well, are your clients all shifting in a certain direction or? No, no. And it's, it, it's a small, small sample size. You know, mm -hmm. when, when we're just talking to, to our clients, I'm talking about a subset of our clients that had goals like that, that we've, gone back and reiterated so it's only a, a few but I've seen that kind of trend where um like being close and family is is all of a sudden more important than going out and seeing the world um and it's funny though with like like because we do have a, like a travel budget built into so many retirees plans and like over the last couple of months with the market being really rocky you know one of the one of the savings graces is nobody's spending that money you know it's like well you know, we're down, we're down a bit, but you know, we don't need that $12,000 to go to Ireland this summer. So, you know, um, and, uh, so you see people adjust. Well, and that's, there was a big, everybody before the virus, everybody was saying Americans had a problem saving, right? So maybe, yeah. maybe this will help. <laughs> I, yeah, well, the, and, and, and there's, we're seeing that and I'm, I'm not going to try to quote the numbers, because I, I was flipping through some stuff yesterday, but the savings rate over the last couple months has jumped to historic highs. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, we'll see how that plays out. Um, if that, my guess is it will it will start to diminish again once um, 
the health situation is a little more under control. But right now, everybody's uh, hoarding cash, I guess, is the uh, best way. Which, you know, from a financial planning standpoint, we spend so much time trying to get people to increase their savings rates. So, Well, what do you think? Sorry. Do you think there'll be a big flux? If, if people are sitting on a bunch of cash, you're right, when sentiment changes, do you think they're just going to spend it? Like, do you have any, any insight into that? I, or no idea? I don't know. Yeah. It'll be interesting. I'd like to think... So, so when you see people turn the corner, like, like when people have budgeting problems and, and, and we do, you know, cash flow coaching and budgeting help when needed, um, you'll see people turn the corner from being like paycheck to paycheck and all of a sudden they've got an emergency fund and credit card bills are starting to get under control, you know, and you start to see, you start to see it click. If that happens, like if people, if people right like right now their motive wasn't wasn't hey i've got to get my stuff in order their order their motive was oh my gosh the world's on falling apart so i need to be careful but if they get to that same mental point where all of a sudden they're like hey i'm not worried about where my credit card payment's going to come from next month i've got that covered or you know i've got um enough money in the bank that if my brakes go out on my car it's not going to be a disaster if people get to that mental point while this is going on, I don't know, maybe we'll see it. It'll probably go back to somewhere in the middle. That would be my guess, you know, something better than it was, but it probably won't persist at the high levels we've been seeing. It takes a while incrementally get yeah. back to the way it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I guess you, you mentioned earlier, you started 20 years ago. I was looking on your website and you said you started in a bear market. So um, yeah. for, you know, young, young students like myself and J Justin, unfortunately dropped sure. again, but uh, yeah, like, do you have any advice for students who are maybe entering right now into this bear market, how we could start our careers and, you know, so position ourselves best possible? I've always looked at it as a blessing that I started mm -hmm. then. Um, in a way it was hard to find clients, but in another, in some ways it's not, you know, because nothing's your fault, right? You didn't blow up any, this market is different. I should, I should start by saying this, this market is different. You know, when I started in 2000, there were a lot of people who would come in with portfolios that just were totally geared towards tech and crazy stuff that was concentrated in very, very narrow parts of the booming.com market. And when that bubble burst, it was pretty, it was pretty gruesome. And the, this is a little different. Like that was, that was more of a, of a bubble, like an irrational, you know, the irrational exuberance name got, got hung on it, of course, and rightly so. So it maybe is a little different now, but you know, I remember people coming in with this mess and it was like, none of this is my fault and I can help them fix it. So it was actually kind of an opportunity. I would say right now, um, the big thing is just to keep in mind that bear markets are gonna come and bear markets are gonna go. And one of the things, you know, the, there's the old Warren Buffett quote regarding companies that when the tide goes out, you realize he's not wearing any pants. I think that same idea can be taken in the advisory world that it, after every one of these cycles, you see a lot of people get out of the business because they got in when things were good and they 
weren't prepared for what it was going to be like when it wasn't good. And I think if you start out when, uh, you know, if you start out in the rain, the sun feels pretty good. So um, I would keep that in mind. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, well, you mentioned this one's different though, right? Because this is like a, I don't know, I, I'm not an expert enough, but I don't know if you could say this is like a normal correction, right? Like this is kind of abnormal. So, uh, right? Like, do you think the market will just kind of pick, it seems to be not really listening to what, I don't know, what's going on to the rest of the world. So I don't, I'm curious, do you think like once we've kind of gotten out of this, it'll go back to the way it was, or it's truly going to be like a correct, like a, a true correction? So, as far as the market goes, I'm never going to, you're never going to nail fair. down to a prediction. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but uh, if I could do that, I'd be on, I'd be on MSNBC right now instead. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but not that those guys can do it either. But uh, what I would say is this, this still at this point, here we are four months, four months in, feels like the kind of thing that, like the economy is never going to be exactly the same, but the economy is not going to be different to the point where markets don't function the way they have. Okay. Companies are going to make money. People are going to invest in companies because they make money. And you know, the stock market will grow long-term because equipment wears out and people keep having babies. So the economy grows and, and the market will grow with it. Um, what, what I was trying to get at as far as it being different <clears throat> was more about like when clients come in with portfolio problems right now, it's like even, you know, even well thought out, perfectly made portfolios still suffered during this where a lot of, a lot of what you were seeing coming out of 1998, 1999 was stuff that was not rationally structured in the first place. You know, and you'd have you'd have eighty-five-year-old grandmothers with you know half their portfolio in MCI Worldcom, and you know it just it just wasn't a, a normal situation where this is more of a across-the-board kind of situation. And I would say this is different than two thousand eight and two thousand nine too, because then it was it was the actual financial system that was broken and that was the problem. And, you know, this is an external threat. This is still more, and, and this has been used a lot, you know, over the last couple of months, I'm not inventing anything new here, but it's still more like a natural disaster or something external that when it goes away, not that, again, not that the economy is ever going to be exactly the same, but it's not like it's structurally um, destroyed or damaged. It's, it's just different. That's my take, my uninformed best guess. Uh, yeah, well, that's definitely what I've heard. So um, I guess last question here, a little bit repetitive, but for, for these students coming out, if they, um, if a student like myself, I'm going to be a senior next year for graduating, mm -hmm. um, you've seen both sides, or not both sides, one of many of the sides. Um, what do you recommend if somebody wanted to pursue a career like you have now, where you're working for yourself and you get to choose your own clients? How could a student coming out of college best position themselves to do that? Well, um, I would recommend looking for um, an entry-level position with a firm that has independence where 
they can give you the client experience that, that you need and want. I would not, I'd be hesitant to say you should strike out on your own right from the beginning. Not that it can't be done, but it takes a lot of thought, a lot of effort and a lot of luck. Um, so I think the key to anything in this business and my, and this is my opinion is network as much as possible, get to know as many other advisors, talk to the people, talk to everybody you meet about what their philosophy is and how they do business because none of us do things exactly the same. And it's not that any of it's right or wrong. It's just, you know, we all have different experiences and different, different approaches. So find, find a place where you can, you can, you can grow and foster that and just get to know as many people as you can. Um, a lot of firms are trying now to create residency programs and extended internships and things. Um, we're, we're kind of in this shift and I, I know you guys are, are as aware of it as I am, but you know, when I, when I started in the business, I, at least I didn't know of a single personal financial planning program out there. You usually went into a sales role, you either survived or you didn't, and then you learned how to do financial planning after you'd already established the fact that you could get clients to trust you, which is backwards and silly, but that's still the, that's still the root. And so now, uh, you know, as established folks, we're looking around going, there's, you know, there's all these, there's all these young planners out there with all kinds of technical knowledge. They just, now they need the client experience, you know? And uh, so um, it's a shift. And it takes time because the thing about the thing about doing things the other way is it was kind of low risk for the firms that were hiring, right? If you if you could sell, you got paid and you stayed. If you couldn't, they wasted some money on your training, but that was about it. So um, it's an evolving world. It'll take some patience and creativity, but I think it's it's way better than it was. So it's a young kids shouldn't expect to have, you know, a billion AUM at 25. <laughs> no, but if you figure out how to do it, let me know. Okay. Yeah, it does, it does, it's always going to take patience. You're always going to have to pay your dues, you know? And, and, and I guess that, that's, that kind of, you know, we've got, we've got these young planners with great credentials, but you still got to learn the nitty gritty of how to get stuff done in the back office. You still need to, you know, expect to start in some kind of support role, you know. Um, Michael Kitsis has a good blog article on that, on paying, you know, it's, it's something along the lines of why, you know, why young planners need to pay their dues or expect to pay their dues. If I can find it, I'll send you the link. But, uh, you know, I, I think he's the keynote at the FPA symposium. Yeah. Yes, he is. Yeah. Yeah. Looking forward to that. Yeah. Yep. Awesome. Well, Dave, thank you so much for your time today. Um, very yeah. insightful. I really appreciate it. Good. Well, thank you, Justin. I appreciate being here. I'm glad uh, Glad you guys are out there. So. Uh, it's going to be a, we're, we're trying, you know, it's going to be a 2020 is a strange year, but we're going to, we're going to persevere. So. Well, persevere. That's what we're all doing, figuring out as we go. Yeah. So, all Great. right. Thanks again. Thanks. Take care. If you like what you heard today, Hit subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The MSU Wealth Management Association is a student group at Michigan State aimed at training the next generation of financial advisors. For more information, check out our website, msuwma.com.
See you guys next week. Later.